0: Good afternoon. Merry Christmas. This is awesome. Um, One, for me, because a year ago, um, I was doing Merry Christmas in this room with a handful of us and a camera. And um, you're so much better than a camera. Okay, So let's go ahead and first, you look awesome. The camera didn't come dressed as nice as you did last year. The cameras weren't here with festive gear and hot chocolate. So first of all, thank you for making this Christmas so much better just by being here. Um, my name is Chris Coliseum, I'm the lead pastor of Encounter Church. And um, Christmas is one of those magical times of the year that um, it's one of my favorite seasons. It's kind of the perfect overlap where it's dark, there's lights everywhere, it's cold. You want to drink hot cocoa and wear warm sweaters and snuggle up to someone close. You know, it's just like the perfect season for that. And um, And so today... This evening, what I want to do is just kind of give you a a little bit more of a Christmas thought um, and wrap up a series that we've been in the midst of this entire month that um, if you're kind of new to the church, uh, this is a series I would encourage you to go back. The last two weeks, we just talked about emotional and mental health and spiritual health and just looking at the Christmas story because there's a lot to say about this moment we're living in right now. And since we won't have church Sunday, I want to use this as kind of a way to maybe plant in your heart and your mind and your eyes some, some ways of thinking about the Christmas story. Um, a couple weeks ago, we started a two-week conversation around Mary. Because I think one of the things that happens with the Christmas story, like the Christmas carols, right? When, the, when we're designing the set, we're like, let's, let's look at it as a simple, just focus on the Christmas carols for the Christmas Eve Because throughout this month, what I wanted to really challenge us with is this idea that sometimes the most profound things are simple. And the fact that there is some profound insight within the simplicity of the Christmas story. But the danger with the Christmas story is that we can oversimplify it. And we can flatten it into this very two-dimensional, sterile, little tykes nativity scene with chubby white people and there were not chubby white people in the nativity scene and everything looks great and grand and it smells like your home but it didn't smell like your home then it smelled like what a barn would have smelled like I mean it's just the idea of sometimes the distance of the Christmas story in our lives creates this distance and understanding how profound it actually is. So I just want to read a couple verses and then look at a, a, a group of people in the Christmas story, who I think actually have a lot to say to us, just like Mary did over the last two weeks. So if you're familiar with the Christmas story, um, you know that Mary is this kind of central figure, and it says, while they were there, speaking of Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, baby being Jesus, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So this is kind of that moment the Christmas story is born. And here's why I think the story of Christmas, um, because it's shrunk down in something that we can watch on a Peanuts cartoon with Charlie Brown, we can miss the fact that what happens in this moment is so revolutionary that every time you write a check, and there's like once a time a year that you do that now, but every time you sign a contract and you write the date, every time you wish someone a happy birthday, every single time you reference the calendar. You're speaking back to this moment and how profound it shaped human history. Because all of the Western calendar hinges on the birth of Jesus. So there's something happening here that's profound. And it says that while that moment's going on, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch of their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And this is that really nostalgic little snippet of the Christmas story that we're all so intimately aware of. But hopefully you've been around enough, or if you're not, you're going to get to know that Like, I don't take things for granted, and I ask really annoying questions because I'm still a toddler um, who operates as an adult. And so, like my two-year-old son constantly is asking right now, why? Why? Have you ever wondered, in all of this story, like, why does it say an angel of the Lord appeared to them, shepherds? Like, think about it. If you're God... And you're going to arrive on the scene. Um, like, how would you do it? Like, would you have a hype person? Would you, like, you know, do some Instagram, some social media pre-work? Would you lay the groundwork, maybe some graffiti marketing around? Because you want people to know something big's coming. you right, think about, it, like, the movies. We'll have teaser trailers for movies that are eight months out. It's like it's coming, and it's like 30 seconds or 10 seconds, and we're like, yeah, that's going to be huge. But we don't have any of that. Like, there's no Prince Ali, fabulous he. Like, you remember that epic scene where he breaks in to Akbar, and he's got to like, you know, they're all singing, and there's like, Oh, this amazing moment. There's a Prince the fabulous. He, holy, you know, come on now. All right, it's, you can laugh. You can engage. You can sing along. Okay, not really. I don't want you to sing along. But you can sing along in your heart. All right? So that, that's the moment you break in. That's the kind of gravity you have for this kind of thing. But I think what's crazy is that how he chooses to announce the birth of God is to a group of shepherds. Which, if you know first century context, is a weird group of people to talk to. So let me give you a little background. Okay, so shepherds were considered the lowest rung of the societal ladder. They were unclean. You didn't hang out with them. You you didn't like, if you wanted to look cool, you never let people know that you knew a shepherd. You never let people knew, like, you grew up in a family of shepherds. Like, to be a group, to be a part of that group was like societal death. They they couldn't testify in court. They're, They're, like, even their words had no weight in the legal system. They're a group of men who are stuck out on the hillside at night that society had overlooked and decided was unwanted, Systemically, there was oppression, and this was the group that God chose to send the birth announcement to, which is an interesting thing to do if you're God, especially if you're concerned about your image, and you're concerned about your reputation. let's be honest, like, in middle school, you got really cognizant of who you sat with at lunch, right, because you started to realize that who you associate with says something about you. And then as adults, we still do the same thing. We're just not as obvious with it. We try to cultivate, right? We, we we're to peruse our LinkedIn accounts. We're connected with people on LinkedIn who wouldn't know us if we walked up to us. Why? Because we want someone who's looking at us to be like, oh, they know that person. They're, a, they're a, like, it's only a one degree separation. Because we want to have this better image of ourselves, we're cognizant about who we connect with. And God chooses on the night of the birth of Jesus to announce the world to say it to a group of shepherds. And I think there's actually a really, really profound reason why he does this. And this is the thought I want us to kind of think through together and not just blow past the fact that God chose to send the, the card to that group of people. Because they had lived at the bottom of society's rungs for so long they knew how broken society was. If you ever want to understand how broken a society is, go spend time with marginalized people. This summer I was driving through, I was with a group of people in Montana. And this group had some association um, with the Crow Indian Reservation, like the the tribe's lands. And so they were connected with that specific group and they're like, hey, do you want to take a tour? Would you like to see What life like for the crows are. Now the most connection people have with the crows would be the television show Yellowstone, um, because that plays out in that general vicinity. In fact, um, kind of a random factoid: in the opening credits, it's showing us a series of scenes, and that's where I was staying, was in that area. And so they're like, most people's association with the idea of Yellowstone and. It is nothing like that. I mean, I killed three people, and I got in trouble for one of them, and so it is not like the television show. That's a joke if you've ever watched a television show. They just kill people, and it's like, like, there's no law there. There's no, like, people just don't get arrested, and it's like, you can't kill people in Yellowstone, and it's not even in Yellowstone. That's the irony. So anyways, side fact for those, like, three people who watched the show who are like, that makes sense, right? Um, so we're, we're going through um, where most of the Crow tribe lives. And it was one of the most depressing, saddest experiences I'd ever had. I've spent time in third world countries. I've done humanitarian work in third world countries. And I felt like I was stepping into a third world country when we turned the corner and drove into the center of where most of the Crow, the crow people lived. And when you drive through that area, you're reminded what society actually looks like. Because most of our lives are constructed to kind of remove the bad, to remove the uncomfortable. And and in some ways, I think the pandemic kind of produced this K kind of type curve where some of us kept living life and we didn't see some of the other sides of life that others were living out. That there's conversations around stay at home, working, and there was a whole group of people that never stayed at home to work. They kept going to work every single day through this thing. And that I think it's insane that God God chose to make his announcement to the group that was the most marginalized, most disconnected, most judged, most misunderstood, and all of the land. And I think here's why. It's because those closest to despair understand the need for repair. When you live in the most broken portions of our society, no one has to convince you it's broken. If you've ever been bullied, no one has to sit down and teach you that people can be turds. Right? I mean, you don't have to be taught that because you experienced how mean people can be. That those who are closest to those places of despair understand intimately the need for repair. And so he's making an announcement to a group that doesn't need to be convinced that society's broken. They're experiencing it every single day. And I would say that if there's been a gift that the pandemic has given us, it's been for moments, brief moments, over the last two years, we've all had a front row seat to watch this movie play out that we realize is not a movie. That in front of all of us, the brokenness of the world has been on display. No facade. All, all that fell apart over the last two years. Right? I mean, just let's just run through this year for a brief second. Just, now, I'm not even going to touch 2020. I just want to remind you of 2021 because um, pandemic years are like dog years. Every week is like eight eight months, right? I mean, I had hair. I was in shape before this. I looked good. Um, and then this thing has turned me into this, Right? Um, My daughter looks at pictures sometimes. She's like, Daddy, you were so young. What happened? I'm like, COVID-19, sweetie. That's what happened. (laughs) But you said that was 10 years ago. It doesn't matter. COVID-19 is everything. Everything is COVID-19's fault. So, I mean, we kicked off the beginning of the new year with a good old, like, let's storm the Capitol building, and let's just show everyone how unstable the government can get. I mean, think about before this season, did you ever, I mean, for our family, a few weeks after this, we drove through D.C. on the way to go see family during February break. And it was the bizarrest thing driving through D.C. Because I don't know about, I, I love history. I, like, I, I love museums. I love learning. And, and it was eerie driving through our nation's capital, both with the pandemic and how empty it was. And then all of the fencing and armed guards with machine guns. I have seen that before, but it was in third world countries where governments had been toppled, and I'd kind of come in around that same time period, and I expected to see it. And it was just just jarring to me, because if you've ever looked at the Capitol building, it is probably one of the most impressive, like fortress-like, great buildings in America. Like the weight of how awesome this nation can be. Falls on you when you stand in the middle of that building. Because it's just beautiful and stunning, and we watched that play out. And then kids kind of kicked it back in the school, but we were still vaccine hadn't been rolled out. And so this is a scene from a group of choir students who were rehearsing in these bizarre pods with microphones. Because you've had to live through this if you've had teenagers or elementary age kids where this has been reality. You keep pushing forward, and uh, you remember this, the boat that, like, broke the world? You know, it was basically, I don't know, it was like me trying to learn how to parallel park, and except it was a, a, a shipping container the size of, like, the Empire State Building wedged. It's like, I mean, this was like Austin Powers in real life, if you've ever, it's like, eek, 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 except there was no eek, 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 it was just eek, and it was stuck. And, and the thought that a ship stuck in the Suez Canal could, like, just break supply chains. Whereas, like, you're trying to order bicycle parts, and they're like, sorry, we're out of those for six months. Why? Well, the boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal. And you're like, how is that affecting this? And it's like, well, there are a lot of the bike parts are on that boat, and the boat's behind that boat, Right? I mean, I forgot about this until I was looking through the pictures. I was like, oh, yeah, the Austin Powers boat. I remember that, right? And you just keep fast-forwarding. I don't remember there was a nation that collapsed this year called Afghanistan. And one of the things that happened in the aftermath, uh, this really kind of crazy picture, is when the government fell, Taliban took over. Um, this was a picture at a theme park in Afghanistan. So when the government fell, Taliban became the government. Um, there was a a, a kind of photojournalist at a theme park and all of these uh, teenagers were coming in and there i mean this is a swan paddleboat and two young guys with automatic rifles i right? i mean I mean you just flip through the pictures that the guy took and it's so bizarre there's another one a guy standing on a you know this like very bizarrely painted pier and he's got a rocket launcher it's like I, I don't even know Disney World would not be the happiest place on earth if that's what we walked into right it's terrifying and then you fast forward to a thing that didn't even get a lot of coverage because everything else was falling apart around us most of us didn't even know that a volcano was exploding in the Canary Islands and yet here is I think probably one of the most insane pictures I've ever seen Like this is like Mount Vesuvius type stuff, right? Where here's in the Canary Islands, this volcano is, and all the dust that has come out of the explosion completely almost covering this two-story house. Like this has been the world that we've been living in. And then just a few weeks ago, right? People sleeping in their homes. In, in December, for crying out loud, tornadoes sweep through and just wreck this community. And when I saw this picture, I was like, man, this captures in so many ways the experience we've had. Because all of these are things that have happened that have been beyond our control. If there's anything the pandemic has reminded you and me that's been so so terrifying is it's reminded us how little control we actually have in our life. Here's a person walking down the street in the midst of devastation wearing a mask because in the midst of what's visibly caused the destruction, there's still something invisible causing destruction too. And yet I would say, That simple statement that we looked at with the shepherds is that I think we're all shepherds right now. That we all understand the brokenness. That we all understand, right, that those who are closest to despair understand the need for repair. Which is why in this moment, while they appearing to the shepherds, he says these words, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So here's a group of people who live with the devastation of life, society. They feel the weight of how broken the world actually is. And angels appear to say, hey, I know you live a life that frequently reminds you about the bad, but I want to give you the good. This is good news that will lead to great joy And it's for all the people. Because by showing up to proclaim the good news to the shepherds, God was leading out that this message isn't for some narrow group who have their life together. This isn't for some small group of people who God likes when the rest of all these other people to hell with them. He doesn't like them. This is God showing up saying to the shepherds and through us all that I have news for everybody. That there is no in crowd and out crowd. There is no us and them. There is no Republicans or Democrats. There are no backs and anti vax This is news that is for everyone, everywhere. Good news. Great joy. That splits straight down the line. And that And I love it, will cause great joy. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that this Christmas we need good news that causes great joy. And for most of us, we need to be reminded that there's good news that causes great joy. And so what's fascinating is the shepherds were an interesting group of people. They lived in this really bizarre place. They were On one hand, they were the the outcast; they were the the misfit toys, right, kind of thrown out and ignored. But they were also tasked with keeping a system going that was central to the Jewish experience of faith, because these shepherds were responsible for raising the sheep and the lambs that would be slaughtered in the ceremonial sacrificial system that the Jewish people had that would cover up and, and kind of hide the sin and brokenness of society. So these shepherds lived in these two really unique places. And I think it's because of this interse- intersection of where they live that God chooses to step into their world to proclaim the good news that He's coming to ours. That He wanted them to understand That God was breaking into the world that had broken down. And that Jewish system of sacrifices provided some very theologically clear language for how broken the world was. Where all the images I showed you, all the experiences the shepherds had, what the Jewish system demonstrated was these were all the symptoms. They were not the sickness. The world that is out of control, both visible and invisible, is just symptoms of a deeper sickness that we all experience. Because what made the pandemic the hardest to live with, the most uncontrollable force in our life, is you and me. If I sat down to listen to your story without even knowing you, I could guess that the biggest enemy you've ever had in your life, the one who's come in and thwarted you from a series of things that you had in front of you or what could be true about you, that the biggest enemy in your life was you. You were your own worst enemy. Maybe you still are. The lies you tell yourself, the things that you believe about who you are, the things that you continue to do, stuck in this loop that makes you hate yourself, while simultaneously being the one who's doing it to yourself. Like the brokenness, all of that external stuff are symptoms of the deeper sickness. And at the end of the day, what the world needs isn't more night quill to make us sleep and forget the sickness that's there. Because most medicines you can buy over the counter are just going to cover up the symptoms. They're not going to deal with the sickness. And what the good news that the shepherds were uniquely positioned to hear was that God had come to tell them that they were out of a job. That what they had been doing was teaching the Jewish people and through the Jewish people the world that there is some symptoms of brokenness, but ultimately there is a sickness that causes the brokenness and that God had come to repair it. Because those closest to despair understand the need for repair. That what happens when you become aware of the inner brokenness and the external brokenness, what it starts to foster inside of you, if you let it, is humility. Like, I think there's something freeing about learning how to wave a white flag and realize that you can't control the world around you. And if you're being honest, you barely have control of you too. Because how many times this year have you had to apologize for not being able to control you, for the things that you said, things that you did and didn't do? And the good news is that there is a repair for you too. And for me, that's at the heart of the Christmas story. That God came in pursuit and in love. Like, not at our best moment, before, in our worst moment, He came for us. It's this incredible, incredible story of God's love and pursuit for everyone, knowing that He could be the one who brings repair and brings us hope in the midst of despair. Like, that's the joy of the Christmas story, is that he came. And that what the last two years has given us is a reminder of the fact that we sit on the front row view of a world that desperately needs repair. And in that moment, if we've been honest, to see the need for repair inside of us too. Now, I think one of the things that's fascinating, I, I'm, I'm a father of a two-year-old. And again, he's very much like me because as a two-year-old, he's already starting to ask why. Um, In fact, my wife this past week sent me a text. She was like, I just explained the water cycle to your son because he kept asking why. And it was basically like, that's your fault because that's what you would do Um, because this is what I do. I ask why. I'm like, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why does this happen? And so watching him has been really fun for me because I'm always asking why. And one of the things that really fascinated me was right after he was born, because you're, you're like staring at this like six pound mass of, you know, a few trillion cells that didn't exist nine months before, like did not exist on planet Earth at all, like conceptually. And then somehow in the midst of like, you know, a mixed tape, for those who remember mixtapes, like throw a little bit of this CD, throw a little bit of this CD, but except that like kids are like mixed tapes that produce whole new CDs. He's the craziest thing ever, right? It's, it's not like, this is how we do it. You know, you got that in there, and then you got some boys, the men. You got that. Men. No, it's like it's a whole different CD. It's like brand-new songs that didn't even exist before. And you're like, what are you? And, and they're like, they're functionally, they're just leeches, like, require so much time and sleep deprivation and resources, and yet... Like, I'm holding my son, and I have this, because I'm a nerd, this really profound insight. I'm like, my son knows that milk exists, and he was never told it. Like, you know, like a baby shows up, and they're crying, and there's like just a couple reasons they cry when they're like young, and you learn that really quickly. But what's fascinating to me was, you know, sitting there feeding them, I was like, I never sat him down when he was born and said, all right, boy, welcome to the planet. Let me run down a few things that you need to know. All right, we don't like the Yankees. Okay, so you need to know that. That's like number one. Like I didn't run through a list of things that he's supposed to know. He was born and he intuitively, innately understood. He had a longing for food so that it must exist. And like, I don't know about you, that was like the most mind-blowing thing to me. To realize that this little six-pound mass who has, I don't even know if he has a, like a, an awareness of himself yet, but he has an awareness that there's a longing and that longing, he is confident, points him to something that must be real. That must be true. And I think that what the last two years has done, if you've let it, is produce something inside of you that's been there all along. But because of our lives oftentimes being so comfortable, we don't even notice it's there. Because here's the question I would ask you. Why in all of those pictures did we feel a sadness like it's not supposed to be that way? Why in the midst of all of those things did you have something in... Why in the midst of a pandemic, why in death and in sickness is something in you crying out, it's not supposed to be this way. I think it's because inside of you, you are made by God for a reason. He created you, you were loved, you were formed, you were forged by Him, and it is deeper than you can fathom on your best and smartest days. And that longing you have For a world that isn't broken, if you're being honest, does not make sense in a world that is nothing but broken and dry. So like, why do you have that? It's because the Christmas story is seeking to answer that longing you have for the perfect in the midst of the imperfect. This is the Atacama Desert um, in South America. Um, random factoid because I like, pretty much I'm setting you all up to win Jeopardy one day and you're going to give me some money. Okay, so this is my long play. So, driest nonpolar space on planet Earth. All right, so you can just follow that one back of your head so you can be like, beep, beep. What is the Atacama Desert? Oh, that's, you know, and you just send me a check and I'm good. So, driest place on planet Earth that's nonpolar. Um, we won't get into the reason of that right now. But this is some pictures. So really beautiful, but not a place you want to leave your Nalgene behind when you walk into it, okay? Because you're going to get thirsty, and you're going to shrivel up really fast. And what's incredible is that um, in the midst of all the other insanities that happen on planet Earth, uh, this place had a kind of a surge of rainfall. And in the midst of that rainfall, something extraordinary happened in the desert. That turned into that. This is not a Photoshop. This is an actual image of what I just showed you. That same place turned into that space when water hit the ground. Because hidden underneath the soil were seeds for all of this. And that the shepherds understood in this context with what they were doing That there was a soul inside of us crying out for repair at the deepest level. And that the beauty of the Christmas story is that you don't have to live in this anymore. That those seeds that sit dormant inside of you of dreams and desires and longings to be loved and understood and belong, that unconditionally, That was meant to be satisfied in him. That shame and that guilt that you carry wasn't meant to be on your shoulders. He came so he could put it on his shoulders so there could be repair. This doesn't have to be your life or my life because we were made for this. This is what you and I long for this is what you and I cry out for, and it's because this is what you and I were meant for. This is the beauty. These are, this is a close-up of some of the flowers that you see in that previous picture. Stunning, isn't it? And so when I talk about the Christmas story and the simplicity and the beauty and just the, all of that, this is the so what of Christmas, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, where you're going, or anything in between. There is good news that causes great joy for all the people. Hope that Jesus broke into our world, our broken world, so that we could experience breakthrough from sin and shame and guilt and condemnation and all the inner lies that fuel all the destructive habits that encase our life to experience freedom and joy that's not dependent on who's in the White House or what house you live in or what job you get or who likes you or doesn't like you or what relationship status you find yourself in. A hope that's actually placed well that can anchor you through any storm. That is what the Christmas story is about. And that when we're willing to camp in that for a moment, we'll find that there is good news and good tidings. And here's where it gets practical, because I've given you a lot of profound things, like those seeds to stick inside of your head and your heart to think about, right? Um, But because I like practical, let me get really practical with what this looks like. If we're sitting on the front row of a world that's broken, what do we do? In our own life, it's simple and profound. It's to turn to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and trust that Jesus has something for us in the midst of following him that we can't even fathom in this moment. And if that's you, that's where you are, I want to help you get started in that. In 2022, we're going to be kicking off spiritual growth classes that some of you have been asking me about. And so we're starting that. We're going to have life, some like life discovery stuff where you can help. I'm going to take you through a process to figure out the purpose for why you were created and help you get clarity, not just in your career but on calling and why you were made and help you unpack some of the uniquenesses of who you are. It's a process I'm certified in that I can't wait to walk some of you through. But collectively, organizationally as a church, as, as people living and following Jesus, what does this look like? I think this picture is part of the answer. See, so I told you at the beginning, we're sitting front row watching this brokenness play out, but what I didn't actually tell you is this is a real picture, um, and that's actually real brokenness. This was snapped by a guy that went viral on Reddit um, a couple of weeks ago in Mayfield, Kentucky. When the tornadoes hit, if you've ever experienced tornadoes, when I was growing up, we had a tornado come over our house and it was so bizarre, it flipped something inside of our house upside down and it flipped our place, our place like place structure upside down but didn't destroy anything else. Like tornadoes are really weird into destruction. They can wreck havoc or they can call these weird like, atmospheric shifts and just remove one or two things. And so what happened in this movie theater is exactly that. Tornado comes over all that destruction, and it rips out the movie screen. So this is not a movie screen in a movie. This is the movie screen removed and the brokenness of the devastation of the tornado right behind it. And so for us as a church saying, how do we live it out? One is to be reminded that like, hey, um, this is why you got handed this when you walked in, because we wanted to give you a visual that like, we can actually be this. We can just be light in a world that's dark and needs to be reminded there's hope. So let me tell you what you did. Because the Love Does offering, what we're in the midst of right now, um, This how we do benevolence. So this week, there's a few things that have actually been happening that we don't even have time to talk about that you've been a part of. Because, like I said, every time you give to Love Does, you're enabling us to be a part of this Collectively. So let me tell you what you did for those who've already given to Love Does, and that's why the rest of you should give to Love Does because of the things we're going to do next year. But let me tell you what you did, all right? So, in this community, because of our network connections, and um, I have a lot of friends who are pastors around America, I have a friend who's a pastor in this community. And so, while there are great opportunities to partner with organizations and we do those things, to provide disaster relief and, and, you know, just all that. um, Really was like, I actually, I want our church to be, like, personally involved. So I reached out to a friend of mine and said, hey, because I knew he had families who lost everything. I said, could we, could our church do Christmas for one of those families? He said, yes. So tomorrow, a single father with two kids who lost their home is going to have Christmas this year. Because of you and your generosity. That we're able to get them finances, resources. And his team went out and bought Christmas for this family. So a single dad with two kids are going to have Christmas tomorrow. That's what it looks like. It looks like understanding I have hope. And I've got so much hope and love. Where can I pour it out? And so as a church, know that that's what we're doing. And this is what we get to be a part of. Because this is the beauty of the so what of the Christmas story is that you and I have a hope, and that hope can radiate. And as a way of just kind of anchoring that, we wanted to close up tonight with a very simple, simple short song that gave you just a visual. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pull this out, you're just gonna tighten it. Our team is gonna lead us in silent night. And it's a very simple song. But here's the beauty of the Christmas story. It seems really simple. But nothing about it is simple. Everything about it is insane. And if the story is true, that God came onto this planet to taste, to chase after you and me, to bring repair from our despair, and then to give us that reminder that light has shined in the darkness and the darkness didn't overcome it. That I'm not naive to think that like, you know, this room and us with candles are going to change some things. But I am enough of a student of history knowing that a group of people serious about following Jesus and being this to a world can actually change the world. Because like I said, every single one of us date our calendars because of Him the original light, stepping into this world. And it's just possible that the lives of people around us can be transformed too, where we're willing to be that light. So I want to pray that this would just be the mark of who we are. If you feel like you're living in darkness and you need that light, right? someone a couple weeks ago walked up to me and said, look, I'm going to be real with you. Um, I've tried to commit suicide three times in the last five years. I think I need Jesus. I was like, I think that's probably true. And the good news is that he's for you. And so maybe for some of us, this, the simple act of doing this is a profound leaning in of saying, God, I need you. I need your light. I need your hope. I need your peace. I need your joy in my life. Jesus, help me to see that. And for others, maybe just this simple light is to say, you know, as I walk into my holiday season this year, I'm going to be this. As I go into my workplace next year, I'm going to be this. As I walk into my new school year, I'm going to be this. Because there's a lot of not this right now. But I follow the light of the world. And, I, and because of that, light's going to follow me when I walk into places too. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the light of the world that gives us hope I pray that we would shine bright that we would be reminded even as we sing the simple song Silent Night that you're the God who chased after us you're the God who loved us who pursued us help us to be people who are known for how we love help us to be people who are known for how we give and how we point people towards you to the hope that you have, to the peace that you give, to the joy that you give through you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray.